If everything has its own energy, and there's a spirit living inside of everything, there's the spirit of the waterfall, there's the spirit of the orchid, there's the spirit of the hummingbird, why would our beliefs be any different? Why would our beliefs not have their own energetic entity? And why could our bodies not incarnate as that? You're listening to The Madeline Moon Show, a dating and relationship podcast that will bloom open your wild expression, deepen your emotional range, and expand your capacity for mythic love. Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Madeline Moon Show. So if you have been listening to the podcast for a bit of time, you heard that it reemerged. It came back. I've done two episodes coming back to the podcast after a two-year break. And I was like, yes, we're back. We're doing it. I'm so excited. We're reemerging. Podcast is going through a Phoenix experience. And then I kind of lied and did not follow through on that intention to come back to do an episode every other week. Alas, it has happened, but here is why. The reason for that is that when I started the podcast again and rebranded it from Mind Body Musings to the Madeline Moon Show, what I kind of felt in my intuition but ended up ignoring was that deep yearning to like have a video camera involved after doing several years of uh, focusing specifically on video content through reels and my teachings and like the whole reason why I paused the podcast was to go into video content. It just didn't feel right to come back to this old friend and only do audio. I really felt this, okay, I want to make it more animated. I want to make it a little bit more experiential. And so it took a bit of time for me to find the right place to to create a setup and to make this video content as well. And that's my excuse for why I disappeared again. And now I really mean it when I say we have every intention, we as in me, <laughs> to release an episode every other week. So I am so excited to officially be back. I feel like we're grounding in the being back experience. And that is that. And what I also wanted to share with you today, because now I got video, I can show you my book. So I talked about this in the last episode of the podcast that I have released a book and I wanted to show you said book here. It's called Artist of Love. This is me. And I'm so proud of this book. This book, it was like written in such a potent time of my life of moving through one of the deepest, deepest breakups. You can go back two episodes to listen to that entire journey. But this book was written, I was quite literally rewriting beliefs around love and polarity and artistry. And my first draft that I wrote of Artist of Love was before the breakup. And then I had to rewrite it thank you, editor, because it was too feminine. He said there was no structure. So I went back in and I rewrote it the same, starting the same month we broke up. So that's a trip. That is a trip, writing a book about love, about being an artist of love when you actually just want to breathe fire all over everything and turn into a little gargoyle gremlin. And instead, you have to meet a deadline and write a book. And 
it took about a year. And so I had a very spacious, delicious year to rewrite these beliefs and really, really hone in. What does it mean to be an artist in love? What does it mean to be an artist of love out of love? What does it mean to be artistic with your breakup, with your drama, with your dharma, with your heartache? So this book teaches you how to be an artist of love with different archetypes and different expressions of of those archetypes, how to be husbanding your feminine, how to be in your eros as a feminine being while also holding structure. And also I include a lot of examples from my own real life of how I created art in love and out of love, as well as client examples. So this is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, online, if you want to get yourself a copy, which I think would be really awesome because this is a great book and I'm very proud of it. And I've heard beautiful feedback, and I would love to hear how it resonates with you. Okay, so today's episode is about taking the shape of limiting beliefs we have in relationship. That's kind of a mouthful. And it's also something that I teach often, especially in my private containers. I'm talking about shapes. I was telling my partner this morning, I was talking about doing this today, doing this podcast. And I was like, I'm going to talk about something I talk about all the time. Shapes, shape, 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 shapes. And then I realized that I feel like I'm talking about this a lot. But to you all, I'm not because you're not not all of you are inside of my private containers. And when I'm talking about shapes a lot of the time it's in these 90 second real clips and that's the beauty of having a podcast is that I actually get to slow down with you in long form and talk about these really um sometimes abstract sometimes esoteric sometimes hard to grasp concepts in a way that we have spaciousness we have time to unpack what this looks like. And I want to talk specifically about limiting beliefs that we hold in our body and how our bodies take the shapes of those beliefs. So this episode is going to be, I'm not going to say heavy, but it's going to be really full, like full of um, maybe charge full of some stories that can feel heavy inside of the body. And also on the other side of feeling that heaviness is a inevitable lightness. That's the way it is with any emotion. That's also the way it is with belief. And it's not the belief itself that causes the heaviness in our body, causes that lethargic feeling, that kapha. It's not the beliefs. It's the resistance to go into the beliefs. And this is also the premise of all shadow work. It's not the shadow that causes the struggle. It's not the shadow that causes the uh, the just heavy or fear-laden or anxiety or um, just like that gnarly kind of energy within us. It's not the actual shadow. It's the resistance to go into the shadow. And oftentimes it's also the stories about the shadow. It's stuff that's happening here 
about the shadow. So you can think about if you're if you're happily married and you're listening to this podcast, you can think about that as you listen to this episode that everything I'm talking about today with limiting beliefs of relationship and some of these things will really be speaking specifically to people dating who are noticing all their stories coming up. Same thing applies. All of this will apply to anybody who's been in relationship for years and years and years, or if you are happy and in relationship, but you're going through shadowy stuff. So I want to start this off by just taking my time to talk about shapes. What do shapes mean? What does it mean to take a shape? And so the first thing I'll say is that I teach yogic expression. The yoga of expression. And when we're looking at the word yoga, we are talking about postures, and we're also talking about the way of living. Some of you may be familiar with the term yoga of intimacy, yoga of love, yoga of relationship. These are terms that are um, not that common, but they're, they're definitely terms that are spreading when we're looking at intimacy, like the intimacy culture that is starting to grow and grow and grow, particularly from the David Data lineage and people who have been studying with him. These terms, yoga of loving, yoga of intimacy, um, yoga of sacred intimacy, they're starting to spread. And I want to explain what that means for anybody who is new to this term. I have previous podcasts where I talk about this, but we're getting into shapes today, so it's very important to understand what this means. So when we're talking about the yoga of something, we're talking about how our bodies can either increase or restrict the flow of love in any moment. Your body has the capacity to restrict love through your breath, by holding your breath, through your gaze, by like, you know, having shifty eyes or looking away, or closing your eyes, or rolling your eyes, or like piercing daggers through your eyes, your eyes are artistic. And they can restrict love. They can also deepen love. They can open the flow of greater love through soft eyes, through eye contact, through eye gazing. Same with the breath. Deeper breath flow breathing more deeply, like the rise and fall of the belly, making the belly pregnant and full, and then softly letting out an exhale. This like creates deeper safety inside of a room. Our beliefs do the same exact thing with our body. So if you hold a belief about relationship, for example, every man cheats. We're going to talk about this one today. Every man cheats. Your body is going to hold that frequency, and it's like a shape. So we're not talking about your weight or your height. We're talking about your posture and your way of being. We're talking about the ways your body increases or denies love. How do you use your body as an instrument? If you believe, if you carry in your heart and on a cellular cellular level, 
that all men cheat, there is a kind of flow of breath that you are going to hold. There is a kind of frequency that you are going to radiate out from your heart. And your heart, I believe, radiates out 50 feet in front of you. So if that is the belief that you are carrying, you are carrying it in your energetic field. We are all spiritual beings, everybody. Everybody is spirit. The idea that we are not is um, very new to our culture. This mentality that like, oh, I love nature. I go out into nature. It's a very man-made concept. And for tens of thousands of years, human knew we are nature. There was no, I like nature. I go into nature. It is what we are. And so it wasn't a surprise that you would, back in the day, use how you felt about people's presence to know whether or not you liked them, whether or not they were safe. Your body told you. Because the minute someone entered your heart space and you entered their heart space, your fields would merge and you'd feel, eh. or you'd feel, hmm, hmm, <laughs> like you, you would feel it. And I think we oftentimes feel it still, we just don't recognize it. So we feel when we go into a party and somebody enters the space, oh, they're here. I want to get to know that person or, ooh, this person feels really safe, like really safe and, and like I feel good being in the vicinity of this person. Or maybe somebody enters the room and you feel repulsed. Or maybe there's somebody in your friend group you just feel repulsed by. It's not about them, but it's about your heart spaces entering each other. And your body is picking up on a frequency of a shape that they're taking, or at least your perception of their shape. You're feeling your perception of their shape. So all these shapes are starting to meet each other. Your projections, your trauma, your desires, your cultural background, your religious background, all these things start to meld and mold and meet each other. And this is important information. So let's get back to you, though, your shape that you are holding. If you look back at your upbringing, how you were treated in your family system, maybe you were the smart one and your sister was the pretty one, or there are any men listening to this, maybe you were raised to believe that you were the bright and shining star, the, for, the firstborn and whatever that meant in your family system, what that was supposed to mean, how you were supposed to be and behave and act. And then on top of that, we add um, our mother's trauma, our mother's beliefs about relationship, our father's trauma, our father's beliefs about relationship. A father that believes women only want to be taken care of and they only want to use you for their money. A mother that believes the minute you give your sex away to someone, they no longer want you. Like these stories. Um, I grew up with the story that why would anyone buy the cow if you can have the milk for free? So why would anyone want to devote themselves to me if they can have my goodies for free? That's a very common one. Um, I also grew up with hearing day after day after day after day, like all the time. The same little phrase, how do you know when a boy is lying? How, dad? 
when he opens his mouth. So I heard that constantly in my life. And there's other stories that are not related to relationship that we take on. For some children, they are enmeshed by their parents. And what that means is, as a child, you learn that it is your job to make your parent happy. You were brought forth on this planet at this time, according to them, to please them, to make them happy, to impress them, to gain their love. They didn't become successful, and so all of their unmet potentials now poured into you. And as a child, they teach you that it's your job to be their bright, shiny star. That's a lot of pressure for a child to grow up with. So you start to create this shape in your body. I will impress you. I will please you. I will prove my worth in this family. I will do anything but devastate you with my lack of potential. I will not trust boys. I will not trust men. I will not be a fool like my mother. I will not be... Um, I will not be taken advantage of like my mother. You know, if, if someone was raised to see their mother, let's say, not financially successful and have to rely on men for taking care of her and the kids, that's pretty painful because back in the day, it's not not as mainstream right now. But at the time, for a lot of our, my generation's parents and older than me's parents for the last hundred years, especially for women, they didn't have the capability to take care of themselves in the ways that men did. Wage was different. Opportunities were different. Not being taken as seriously. And so for a lot of children, they did grow up watching their mother, a single mother, do everything they can to make ends meet, including being in relationship with men for protection, not so much for love. So for a lot of kids who grew up watching that, there are limiting beliefs that were created in the body. Watching your mother go through that, for example, a belief that if you rely on a man, he will take advantage of you. If you get to the point where you rely on a man, he will take advantage of you. If you witness that in your mother, it's no surprise you are going to adopt that belief. On the other side of the coin, I will never, ever rely on a man because then I don't have freedom and then I don't have choice. And then my freedom and choice is dictated by him, the breadwinner. He gets to make these decisions. And these beliefs start to, again, it happens on the body level. So these beliefs start to penetrate through the eyes, like suspicion starts to pour out through the eyes. It starts to create rigidity in the jaw. So when you go on dates, there's like a tightness in the jaw. Perhaps if you have any limiting beliefs about sharing your truth, if your mother couldn't share her truth, if you witnessed domestic violence, if you couldn't share your truth as a child, or your father couldn't, it might live in your throat. So when you get into these intimate moments in partnership, your throat tightens up, your throat restricts, and your truth, whatever that, whatever that truth is that feels like it's so, like on the tip of the tongue, it's right on the surface, like I know who I am as a woman. The minute you are in an intimate experience where that truth has plenty space 
and safety to come out, your body doesn't know how. Everything tightens, the jaw tightens, you start to take the shape of like, ugh, stuckness. And your mind is spinning because you know who you are, you know you have a truth to share, but the body does not know how to unwind, open, and give that expression. And it definitely can't give that expression at the deepest level. So there are these moments in partnership where we have the opportunity to undo the belief and our body just doesn't know how. There's also the shape that we take on the on this very, 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 very subtle level. And I mean how you walk about all day long. And this ties into the thing we were talking about when people feel a little repulsed by people or feel very drawn into people that they're holding this ongoing shape of their belief. If someone believes that the universe is abundant and they believe in the power of the great mother and they walk around with gratitude and they give, they give offerings to the river and they sing and they're joyful and they're like in prayer and they do ceremony. I know people like this. They just radiate this kind of love because they're holding this belief of love and abundance and gratitude. And you feel that. And a lot of times men are like, like, ooh, mm, shakti, num, 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 num. I like that. Whereas if you have this kind of belief that you're carrying around in your body and you're not really doing work on it to enter states of gratitude and invoke this state of abundance in your body, because yes, it is an invocation, It's not something you just get, gratitude. You invoke it. You have to summon gratitude. And if you're not summoning gratitude and taking part of that daily ritual or practice, and you're walking around with the belief of no one chooses me, men only use me. The closer people get to me, the more that they betray me and let me down. No one can hold all of me these kinds of beliefs, you start to radiate that out everywhere you go. You go to the grocery store, people kind of enter your field and they feel it. It's like, "Mm, don't fuck with her. Like you go to a party and everyone gets asked, asked out or like they get flirted with and you're not. It's because you're probably holding a particular kind of belief in your body and everyone is a spiritual being. They can feel that. I'm not saying all of this to scare you or to discourage you. I'm saying all of this to encourage deep self-reflection. Deep self-reflection. I'm inviting you into a level of self-reflection that normally people who are in my containers get invited into, and I'm inviting you into this now to really start to look at the beliefs you carry in your body. And I want to list a few of them and start sharing how they can ripple into your life. And then also I'll share what you can do on the other side to heal that. Because that's really what we're here for is how do we heal these things? So I'm just going to list some that I've received from my students. And then we'll pick a few that I'll work on. Common wounds that people hold that manifest in their shape. All men eventually cheat. All men eventually leave. Nobody can hold all of me. It's exhausting to be in a relationship. It drains me. Men come into my life 
and fuck me up. An amazing man. Any amazing man that comes into my life fucks me up. When people get close to me, they cannot be trusted. They'll betray me or they'll find out pieces about me that they don't like and then they'll leave, can't be trusted. Always be independent of men. I always have to be independent of men. Love should be easy from the start or it's not meant to be. Mm, men will let me down. Men only want me for sex. Very big, important one. And men who I actually like will ruin everything in my life. So one of the things I really want to point out with these limiting beliefs is that they are narratives. And this is an important distinction. Again, like I was saying in the beginning of the podcast, it's not actually the 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 belief, it's it's the stories we create about the beliefs. It's our resistance to actually looking at the beliefs. It's that like, it's like always irking underneath the skin, this belief, this fear, this charge, and we're never actually looking at it head on, going straight into it, incarnating as it, which we'll get into that in a bit. But what I want to say is that these are narratives they live here. These are stories. We have beliefs, and the beliefs are existing on the energetic, subtle realm, the shape of the body. But also, these beliefs really manifest as active narratives. So we want to look at the narratives, because when we target the narratives, it makes it easier to unravel that shape in the body. And by looking at some of the ways these narratives ripple out into our lives, we have a greater understanding of why it's important to actually look at this, which I feel is really good context for us. So if we hold the belief that all men leave or all men cheat, what we will start to do is make ourselves smaller. And this is a shape that we take. That means shoulders can start to kind of curl. Head can start to hang a little bit lower. Eyes are downcast. And there's a kind of bigness, like, woo, I'm taking up so much space. I'm taking up space on the bed. I'm taking up space in my house. I'm taking up space in my friend groups. I'm taking up space with my needs in my relationship with my partner or this guy I'm dating. I'm taking up space with my voice. I'm getting bigger. That does not happen. If there is a fear that all men cheat or all men leave, what most women do is they contract. It's like they start to form a contract with their bodies and it's, it's, it's covert and it's unconscious. And the contract is I will reduce my needs, I will be low maintenance, and I will take up less space to reduce the possibilities of this belief actually manifesting. And what normally happens is that when we try to cater ourselves to the narratives in our mind, when we're starting to cater, we're start to, starting to take these very particular actions like getting smaller, taking up less space, not asking for our needs. That is, in fact, when we manifest the very thing we don't want. And we can think about it this way. So if you have the belief that all men leave or cheat, which is just, I'm talking about this because it's come up in my group containers, it's come up with my friends, it's come up with my one-on-one -on -one clients. It's a big one. 
It's come up a lot in my Instagram DMs. Um, when we have this belief, let's say it comes from our lineage, like your mom was cheated on, your grandma was cheated on. Oh my God, it's so much to unravel for you because you're carrying this belief that goes way beyond you and you're carrying it in your body, you're carrying it in your cells, you're carrying it in your DNA, you're carrying it in your heart space. It's a lot that you're taking on to unravel, to unravel for you, to unravel for the sa- the safety and the the love of your relationship. It's it's you saying I deserve an amazing relationship and I will not allow this belief to run the show. Also for your children, it's you're refusing to pass that on so you're doing the work to take a new shape with your body, to use your body as an instrument, to believe that there is a different kind of love and devotion that is available to you. So when you have that particular belief that men leave, what happens oftentimes is you'll make yourself smaller or you may make yourself bigger so that they just go ahead and leave already. But for the smaller one, what I often see happen is that women will try to be low maintenance because they associate high maintenance with giving men a reason to leave because you're taking up more space because you are high maintenance that means that you need more and because you're particular that you um, are going to drive him crazy and it's also not surprising because we see this on film and tv all the time like the old ball and chain well what makes a ball and chain A, a ball and chain comes from a woman who has needs and that's turned into nagging. And is nagging a thing? Yes, it is a thing, which might be a different podcast. But what I want to talk about very specifically is that it is not your maintenance that is going to run away a good fucking man. It is not your maintenance. It is not your needs. And it's not your particularities at all. In fact, the smaller you make yourself, the less space that you take up, the more a mask, an energetically masculine man, meaning the opposite side of the pole of the feminine, meaning someone who relates more to purpose and consciousness, time and space, that being, he doesn't have access to energy in the way that the feminine does. The feminine is energy, is up and down and left and right and high and low and supercharged and ecstatic and full of love and excitement and then also devastated and and like throwing a temper tantrum and then having a yearning and a desire and then also feeling rageful about the jar being open in the corner or something. It's like kind of amazing for most masculine beings to see this being be full of so much. And They love that. They're searching for energy. They're searching for that sparkle. They're searching for the tsunami one one minute and the um, waterfall the next and the morning dew and the starlight. They want that range. So it's not your range and it's not your particularities because I am a very particular woman. (laughs) And they can be hard things. They can be learning curves for people to learn of how to be a neat freak. And again, that's another podcast. But it's not those things themselves that cause men to leave. It's not the 
needs, and it's not the, the quote, maintenance. What is maintenance anyways? It's really just ongoing um it's maintenance is just ongoing needs, moment-to-moment -moment needs in relationship to be in integrity in the partnership, to feel seen, to have the opportunity to hold each other. It's why we do relationship. Let us not forget that. But when a woman becomes smaller and smaller, what inevitably happens is that other pieces of her multifaceted self start to become dimmer. She starts to wear baggier clothes because if you're hiding yourself energetically by becoming smaller, you also do that on the physical realm. So you start to wear clothing that doesn't really inspire you. You're hiding yourself in one way and you're going to hide yourself in the other ways too. You may begin to wear clothes that cover yourself up in particular ways that make you feel safe, like you wear sweatshirts and things that are a little bit baggy, sweatpants. I love sweatpants. That's not what I'm saying that that's a bad thing, but there are these little mannerisms that you start to pick up because you cannot, as a woman, just turn yourself smaller in one place. It's all the places. And another thing that I want to note is that you are now, your compass is now in response to the fear of men leaving. It's no longer your compass through and through. It's a reaction. It's not based off of who are you, woman. Who are you, woman, today? And what am I feeling inspired to reach for? Who am I being inspired to be today? Now it's in reaction. I am now choosing my clothing and how I eat and how I talk and how loud I talk and how I move my body in the kitchen in response to the fear that he's going to leave. You are now living in effect rather than cause. You're not causing the ripples you are the effect of the ripple. This is not the way that woman is supposed to be. And so when we're looking at all these behaviors put together of perhaps speaking quieter, taking up less space, not asking for what you need, and then beginning to hold resentments because you're not getting your own needs met, and then probably you're not being a very well-fucked woman because you have insatiable desires, naturally so. You want more, 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 more. If you are a woman, you want more, 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 more. If you associate with the feminine pole, you are just built that way to want more, 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 more. So if you are turning off a fundamental part of being woman, which is your desire for more because you're trying not to be high maintenance, everything starts to shut down. It's a ripple effect. Everything starts to shut down. Your shakti, that brightness that you hold, starts to shut down. Your probably fuckedness starts to decrease. You're probably not being fucked as much because also remember partnership is we feed off of each other. His pleasure leads into your pleasure, leads into his pleasure, leads into yours. So when one person starts to retract a part of their practice, then it's just going to inevitably ping pong in the other direction. So if you're not radi radiating out your shakti and transmitting out your desire for more, more integrity, more consciousness, more love, more sex, he starts to feel that. And then his desire to lean in starts to retract a bit too. Not saying that this is all on you, but I am saying this is both of you. This is your work and his work and your work and his work. And it all stems from a belief. And if you have other little 
beliefs like men are going to leave this many years down the line, if you start to know somebody and you begin to create an intimate partnership and you get to that point, whatever that point is in your mind, let's just say, for example, the four-month mark or the three-year mark or the 10-year mark, around that time when you witnessed your parents have these issues and your body knows this is the time, there will begin to be a different shape that you start to take around that time. Maybe a shape of suspicion or maybe you start to retract your Shakti or you start to get a little more jealous or you project a bit more. Your fears, all the fears you have bubbling up, you project them. What is a projection? I think a lot of us probably know this, but a projection is when we hold a belief, we don't want to own it. So we say, you have this belief. So if you have a belief, let's pick a different one. Let's say you have a belief that it's exhausting to be in relationship and you're holding that shape of that. You're a little bit timid about getting into important conversations. You use humor to deflect depth because you are afraid that that depth will create an exhaustion in your body which is really just your body doesn't have the capacity to hold the depth yet. If you have that fear and you're projecting, which is a common thing, you'll start to say that they are not able to meet you in your, in your depth. When the truth is you're not able to meet the depth. But if you are afraid to just own that, I don't know how to do relationship. Relationship is hard. I, I don't have the capacity to expand to meet this moment in the way that I want, baby. And I really want to learn. Instead of just admitting that truth of, I'm afraid. I'm afraid my body doesn't know how to expand to meet the bigness of this moment. What we might do is project it. You're not able to meet me. That's a big one that I hear from women is, I can't find a man that will hold all of me and meet all of me. And... And then sometimes what the actual truth is, is that you don't know how to hold all of you or you don't know how to hold all of expression. A lot of times they are the same women that when it comes to coming into my group containers and expressing, they don't, they don't. It's like a story that they have all this expression, but in their body, they don't actually know how to express. So when it comes time, like you have the stage this is the stage, go into that dud feeling or emotion that I give them and I'll give them exactly how to do it with their body, they freeze. They freeze because they haven't been practicing. And it's common for women who aren't practicing the art form of expressing and emoting to have this story that no man can hold me and project that onto a man and say, you're not holding me. You're not holding me. And it's really just a way that you don't have to keep expressing. It's a way that you don't have to express. As long as you project that belief that he can't hold you, you will not give him the opportunity to. Whether this is someone you've dated for five years or this is your first date with someone, you will hold back. And my loves, it is that holding back that inevitably, I shouldn't say inevitably. Well, I guess I can. It's that belief that inevitably will lead to a decrease in your connection and may lead to the ending of a relationship. Because you can't keep going on in a relationship. You can't be your full self, which might be why you've gone from relationship to relationship to relationship. And he can't because 
he doesn't want to be with someone who withholds and withholds and withholds and withholds and withholds. Like he, he's going to want to shake you and be like, baby, what's going on in your body? Tell me. I can hold this. So it's the beliefs themselves or the inability to be with the beliefs that cause the most damage, not the actual fear. Like that fear, how beautiful would it be for you to go to your partner or even to someone you're dating and say, I'm afraid to express to you the truth of what I'm feeling. I'm, a, I'm afraid that it'll scare you away. I'm afraid that you won't get it. I'm afraid that I won't do it right. I'm scared to express this pain. I'm, ex I'm afraid to express this desire. I'm afraid to express this yearning. Ah. <sighs> that, oh, that's so beautiful. Especially when you give it to him in an open heart. There's no games. There's no leakage. There's no, I want to express to you, but I don't think you can handle it. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, there's a time and a place for bringing the bratty, like fully, like I want to express to you, but daddy, I don't think you can handle it. <laughs> like that's kind of hot. That's really hot. But there's another kind where it's um, a hook. It's a hook. So this is my next point. I talked about um, how these are narratives. And I also want to say that narratives are how we test people. They're how we test people. We keep testing. And this in relationship can become really tiring, can become really tiring for you, like the act of testing, and also for the person that you're dating because they can't really trust. They can't really trust fully, wholeheartedly that what you are doing is what you mean or what you are saying is what you mean or what you're asking is what you mean. And part of that is just us as women that sometimes we do say things and it's not exactly what we mean. We mean something else. I was listening to this um, amazing talk by Alison Armstrong and she was talking about how sometimes we'll ask men, can I have your opinion? And what we really mean is we want praise for whatever we're about to share. So I think there are some nuances in the differences between men and women in saying what we say. Sometimes there is a deeper layer. And I think in a way that's beautiful that there's something underneath that. And that's an opportunity for us to continue to get clearer and clearer and clearer with my partner we have a ritual. If I truly want his opinion, I will say I want your opinion. I've learned that because I'm trying to get as close to what I mean as possible. And then sometimes I'll say I just want to share or sometimes I'll say I want your praise. Just getting as close to what I want as possible. I want your praise in this. And then afterwards I may say, and now I want one piece of feedback or I want your opinion. I'm really ready for it. So that is... A beautiful practice and process to learn as women of how we can get really close to what we mean. But then there are how the beliefs create narratives that lead to unconscious testing, unconscious probing to see if they're going to prove your story right. And I watch this unfold in reality TV all the time, where I'm just like, you can, it's so easy to watch it play out, where you'll see someone. Uh, like a returning guest on Bachelor and go, they go to Bachelor in Paradise and you really start to get to know these contestants. And they just have this belief of that no one chooses them. And you start to watch 
from show to show to show to show, then fall madly, madly, madly obsessed with someone and then that person doesn't choose them. Even like the next day that person is on to the next person. And it's kind of, I mean, it's kind of amazing to watch play out. And it's it's a total limiting belief in your shape, your shape. It's a shape thing. Because once you start to get to know these people, you start to see, ah, like you can feel them carrying this hypercharged, like, choose me, choose me, choose me. I love you. I'm obsessed with you. Oh my God, I can't stop thinking about you. Like after five hours of knowing this person. And it's this deep, deep, deep desperation to be chosen because of their belief that no one chooses me. And so they're attracting these experiences that no one's actually picking them because the the connection doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel authentic. And I'm sharing all this because I'm encouraging you to think about if you have this belief that you're never chosen, do you feel like sometimes you are susceptible to bypassing your needs, not actually asking yourself the question, is this person really a fit for me? And just falling into automatic obsession with the person, that specific person, locking all into them, even if they aren't a fit for you, even if they can't meet you where you want them to meet you, even if they can't hold eye contact, you it's okay, I don't care, I don't care. And you start to give them this level of devotion that they haven't yet earned. And then they don't choose you. And then they don't choose you because they want you to choose them for them. They want to feel that you see who they are, like deep, deep, deep inside. And you may feel like you're doing that. You may feel like you're the goddess who is loving beyond her preference. You have unconditional love. You're throwing all this beautiful, bodacious milk and honey energy all over them, and they aren't choosing you. Ironically, it is that overgiving that is a byproduct of the fear that you won't be chosen. And it is that overgiving that is a test. And they feel it. They feel it. Yeah. And so these narratives, we're using them to test people to see, will you prove this belief wrong? They'll feel that. They'll be exhausted with that. And then you'll also get exhausted testing them. It's hard. It's hard to carry the test book with you everywhere you go. And the other thing I want to say about narratives is that when we have them, we give our power away from what's truly honest, what's truly real of what we want. With the example of men cheating, we already talked about how there's the living by effect, and that's giving your power away because you're no longer living by the compass of you. You're living by the compass of the fear and the compass of them. And when you have this fear and you have this narrative, you start to give your power away by not being the fullness of who you are. And you start to lower your needs, thinking that's going to give you the relationship that you want, an easy, breezy, chill relationship. When in reality, if you weren't to give your power away and you were to be the fullest expression of you, whoever that is, maybe you don't know at this time, that's okay, but if you can get just two inches deeper into the fuller expression of you, what I imagine is there is that you want bigness in relationship. You want bigness in love. You want bigness in maintenance. Of course, some people are 
just naturally lower maintenance than others. That's not really what I'm talking about. I'm talking about that deep, deep yearning inside of your feminine heart for a cosmic kind of love, for what I call a mythic kind of love, which means a love that expands beyond this lifetime, that has come from a lifetime not currently present. It's something that is eternal. It's tantric. It's everlasting. It goes beyond the tit for tat and this and that. And here's how you get a man. And here's, you know, step one, two, three. It's, it is like a conscious kind of love, consciousness kind of love. It's the part of love that's never changed. It's always been there. That's what I think about when I think about a mythic kind of love. And when you begin to give your power away and you lower your standards, you may find yourself in a relationship that is not true to you. And that creates a whole other host of relationships. When your belief ran the show, now you're in relationship with someone who expects a low-maintenance woman. And you're constantly having to fight. Like, oh, baby, I, I wanted sex to be, I really want sex to be longer. Or, oh, baby, that, that comment you made earlier really hurt my heart. Can I show it to you? Or being able to play in some of those spicy, fiery realms. But you've now formed this relationship culture where his nervous system isn't attuned to the frequency of a lot. So if you wanted to bring like this kind of fire, like you just wanted to get animated and expressive for him, his circuits might be kind of blown because that's not the culture that you've created. You've very specifically created a culture of less. And all of a sudden, your pussy gets a little dried up <laughs> because you're not fully online. Part of what makes women turned on is their own fullness and being received by someone wanting their fullness. And the thing I really want to hone in on is that it doesn't start with him. Him. Doesn't start with the next date. It doesn't start with the dream guy you're envisioning. It doesn't start with the next person you go out with on Bumble. It doesn't start with your man of one year or your man of 20 years. You are responsible for bringing the culture to life that you want. My partner will often tell men, you are respo take responsibility for the culture of your relationship. And I love that he's teaching men that. I also feel that very specifically about women, that we are also responsible for our culture. If you have a man that's gonna say, baby, I'm responsible for the culture, great. And because you are listening to this episode, I want you to take full radical responsibility for where have you not been turning yourself on with your own expression? with your own expression, your own realness? What are all those little micro moments that have happened in the last week that you withheld, that you disregarded, that you maybe closed and then just pretended like nothing was there and you said, I'm fine, I'm fine. I'm not telling you in this podcast to ignore your beliefs. I'm telling you to express the beliefs create sacred containers to fully go into the pain of all men cheat, all men leave. Man, men can't hold all of me. Relationship is debilitating. I don't have a strong enough capacity to hold this. What if you incarnated as that belief? What if you gave yourself three minutes? 
created a sacred space in your living room, lit candles, like actually made a little theatrical space and gave yourself the, the moment to incarnate, to shape shift into the belief itself. So in animism, it is fact that nature is spirit and that nature has a personality, has an entity, has an energy, like a palm tree has a spirit that lives within it, that a oak tree has a deity that is in control of the wood, of the leaves, of the roots. There's a deity that's like living and breathing the tree, that sky is father, that moon is mother. These are actual spirits and energies and entities. It's not just oh, I'm in, I'm in nature and it's, it feels spiritual. It's okay, the soil is actually controlled by a goddess, ruled by a goddess, breathed by a goddess. So if everything has its own energy and there's a spirit living inside of everything, there's the spirit of the waterfall, there's the spirit of the orchid, there's the spirit of the honeydew, there's the spirit of the hummingbird, why would our beliefs be any different? Why would our beliefs not have their own energetic entity? And why could our bodies not incarnate as that? And this is the premise of shadow work, something that I think most circles and spaces are really missing out on. Shadow work is getting confused for like, what's the part of you that was really hard to accept as a child? Like and talking about it. That's not what shadow work is. Shadow work is when you allow, well, I should say courageous shadow work, is when you allow the spirit of the shadow to move through your body and fully personify it. And that could mean like turning into some kind of dragon creature and like you visualize yourself dripping this black goo and like you just let the Ugh, like maybe you're feeling the shame of your mother or you're feeling, feeling the energy of all men cheat. That does not look pretty. If you were to give yourself three minutes, that's kind of a long amount of time. I would even say 90 seconds to fully allow the belief to incarnate through you, not just express. This is an important distinction. We have expression. We have incarnation. I love expressing. Expressing is I'm showing the thing. I'm showing the thing see my thing, I'm showing the thing, I'm upset, I'm, I'm happy, I'm elated, I'm showing it. It's a little bit more on that surface level. It's kind of clitoral, like expression could be clitoral. And then there's incarnation, which is cervical. Incarnation, it's from the innermost core of your body, something moves up through you and pours out through you. It's yogic. It's through your eyes, your breath, your fingertips, your toes, your calves, your groin. Everything is permeated by the energy, the energetic. So with all these beliefs I'm talking about today, the number one best way to start to unravel it is not to go to your journal, not to talk about it, it's to incarnate as it. It's to allow from the deepest, innermost place of your roots to feel that belief starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger and until it starts to pour through your body 
And then you do whatever you need to do for 90 seconds to touch it fully, to feel it fully. And this is really tiring work, this shape-shifting work. Energetically, bones will break, muscle fascia will stretch, your eyes will roll to the back of your head, you grow fur, you shape-shift, you take on the belief for your mother, your father, your grandmother, your grandfather, your kids, your grandkids, you're taking it on for them. This isn't just for you. You take on this energetic to know it. So when we do sacred theater, what we are doing is we are knowing something. Theater is about knowing something. When we do theater, when we do, acting is doing, first of all. Let me just make that clear. When we act, any actor, it's the first rule of acting. Acting is doing. Acting is not even feeling or thinking. It's doing. You don't know someone's acting unless they're doing something. They have to be doing something. A scene without doing is so boring. Watch any scene, you will see there is doing. When we do theater, it is doing. And when we are in that process of doing, when we enact, enactment, theater, enactment, when we do, we know. But not just know as in the mind, it's gnosis, to know, to know from the heart. Gnosis, and this is a very beautiful core teaching of Mary Magdalene of Gnosis. What does it mean to live your life from that wisdom? Your limiting beliefs that you're carrying along in your life, do you want to know them? Do you want to be intimate with them so that they no longer have the power to run the show, to project on your partner, which may make them leave, to become suspicious of this person you're dating and then therefore become hyper-analytical of everything you do, if you no longer want to be ruled by those behaviors, those habitual patterns, you must know it. You must know it so intimately, and you won't know it unless you enact it. And this is why I love my container so much, is because it's all about ritual enactment. We do so many things, but part of it is about ritual enactment. We have Q&A, but we also have ritual enactment. You won't actually leave any space changed unless your body has shape-shifted to know the belief, to know so that you can, through the heart space, live with a different kind of awareness of those people that you're dating, those people that you're, that person or people you're in relationship with. Okay, so what else can we do? So ritual enactment, number one. The other piece, which will probably come up in the enactment, but I want to set the tone for this so that you have designated spaciousness for this is grieving, grieving, grieving. By knowing something so deeply, by actually feeling the entity and the energetic of your father's alcoholism move through you, or your mother's distaste, or your grandmother's mistrust, or your father's habitual cheating like to know something like that is inevitably to to release it it is to let it go and that's going to create that's going to create the feeling of pain you're going to feel you're going to feel sad at some moments you're going to feel bad at some moments like it's not going to feel like um mm, mm, feminine i am so excited to work on my feminine and it is feminine and it is feminine practice. So I, I love when people apply for my workshops and coaching because they're like, I want to come to you to work on my feminine. And I'm like, <laughs> like, okay. 
we're gonna get there. We're gonna get to like you dancing in the kitchen and yummy, slow, sensual music, eating chocolate and luring in your partner. But guess what? To get there, you're gonna have tears and snot rolling down your face as you incarnate as addiction. <laughs> like that is a part of getting to that other side because it's full liberation. It's full liberation. And another thing that I hear a lot in my containers is I've done that. I've grieved. I'm exhausted with grieving. I'm tired of grieving. I've done a lot. I'm like day one of my containers, people will come in and say that they're here. They're excited to work on like manifesting their beloved and they've been grieving and they're done with grieving. And I, I did this too. I, I, I did this from day one of my previous breakup with my beloved when we broke up. I remember pretty much the first week I was like, I don't want to grieve. <laughs> you just don't want to grieve. It's so interesting. The really deep wound, like, ah, refusal to, to surrender to the grieving process. And I just wouldn't shut the fuck up when I was in the month one of my grief process being like, all right, I want to make a million dollars. I want to find my next beloved. I want to uh, call in so many awesome opportunities. Like I'm just it's just such the capitalist way of like skip that spacious time to fall apart. We don't want to fall apart. And it's ingrained in us in the society that there's no time, there's no space. What does it mean if we do that? Will we forget how to partake in our capitalist culture if we fall apart? And so we don't want that. And we don't want anything that doesn't feel ooey gooey and delicious. And in so many ways, my loves, it is that falling apart that feels so soft. It's like the very thing we're looking for is the softness of the grief, is the remembering that comes with the falling apart, the longing that comes with the falling apart. And I want to implant the story that it can feel really good. It can feel really good to do that. And what feels even better and what's, what's really important to realize is that when you choose to step into ritualized grief or moments of grief you're saying i'm choosing to step into grief it's it's a very different energetic of grief has been thrust upon me and now i have to deal with it or grief has been thrust upon me and now i have to fight it you're choosing to go into it and there's a kind of strengthening of your capacity that happens when you as a sovereign being say i am i am willing to go into this feeling to know it, to create gnosis with it. Your capacity expands so that the next time you feel that energetic of grief or you feel that energetic of anger pretty much under any energetic. Because when you expand your capacity in one emotion, you're expanding your capacity in all emotions. When you choose to go into that, you're expanding your capacity to meet everything else that's inevitably going to pop up in your life. Because I guarantee you, you're going to have that grief and that anger and that sadness and that longing and so much more in whatever relationship you're calling in or the one that you're in this is not like a breakup thing or this is not a dating thing or this is not a like in relationship thing this is a life thing so by choosing to go into it you are saying you're saying yes to strengthening your capacity for this moment, but for all other moments. And the next time something is thrust upon you, you have more awareness of how to meet it. You have more sovereignty. You have more somatic sovereignty. 
of knowing how to move this grief through your body. It's not like you have to exit your body. That happens to a lot of people where the feeling is so intense, whether it's like desire and flirtation and excitement or anger and rage, you start to exit a little bit. Same with orgasm. When the orgasm is like you're going to a next level, there's a part sometimes of your body that's like, I'm exiting. And this can result in like, you know, like laughing during an orgasm. Not saying that laughing always equals that, but that can happen. It's like there's a way you start to, ah, I don't know what to do. How do I strengthen my capacity to hold all of this energy? I'm telling you how. It's by choosing to go into ritualized states of feeling emotion. And you can also do nonlinear movement practices. Um, like what when I say that, I mean 15 minutes a day of just moving whatever's present inside of your body on a, a fluffy rug or on a yoga mat. You're just choosing to go into, I'm going to feel this. I'm going to feel this through my body. Okay, what's here? Oh my God, I'm going to cry. I'm going to scream. Blah. I'm going to start to vent and I'm going to vent. I'm going to get angry and I'm going to shake it through my system. You're just choosing to become energy. You are energy. If you're a feminine being listening to this, you are energy. If you are a masculine being, you have energy in your body. Obviously, you have the feminine. Any human being can use this practice of get to know your energy so that when life invokes within you that tsunami or that thunderstorm you know how to hold it without blowing your circuits without booking it without slamming the door and saying well maybe you just need to find another woman or saying or you know collapsing or collapsing in on yourself in a shame spiral of i hate myself that's what i mean when i say strengthen your capacity it's so that those little behaviors that are the byproduct of your fear they don't start to run the show you can you can learn how to reveal your pain without succumbing to the stories of your pain without succumbing to the narratives because su succumbing to the narratives of your pain and of your beliefs your limiting beliefs in relationship that's normally what causes the rift between you and a partner now one other thing one final thought that i'll share about this is that Everything I'm saying, getting to know your limiting beliefs, not succumbing to them, strengthening your capacity, all of this to you women who re relate to the feminine pole, all of this is making you more penetrable by a masculine being. Because a high quality man wants to know that his presence will move you you will be affected by his presence. You will appreciate what he's bringing to the table. You will see him for the good man that he is as a baseline. That doesn't mean you don't have fears come up or insecurities about other women. That doesn't mean that you don't have things that hurt your feelings or that doesn't mean there are, aren't places in relationship you want to call him forward to be an even more meticulous integrity. It doesn't mean that those things don't exist, but there's a baseline of seeing the good man he is, loving the good man he is. There's a baseline of, I love you how you are. If these beliefs are running the show, you're going to have a guard up. You won't be very penetrable. And I'm not talking about physicalness. I'm talking about energetically. That 
his gaze won't actually reach you if your beliefs are number one. There's going to be a force field extending out. His words of I love you will never actually reach your heart. You'll have in your mind, like even as he's saying it, you'll be disassociated somewhere else of like looking for all the reasons why he doesn't. And a high caliber man, particularly a king, a king for sure, wants to know he can tell you I love you and you're going to feel it. And this takes time. This takes time to get to this place of being penetrable, particularly if men have cheated, if they have left. And I think a beautiful question for you to ask yourself is, and this comes from, this is something that my own beloved John has pointed out in his teachings is that we can ask ourselves, where have we contributed to the places that, um, where have we contributed to those hardships coming true? Those hardships coming true, those things, those painful things in our relationships or relationships ending or people cheating, where can we take responsibility for not accepting that partner, that partner's I love you? not seeing the good in that man, not cherishing that relationship, always wanting something different or maybe being really sharp or withholding love with them. There are sometimes reasons why these relationships end that we can take responsibility around. Why not? Why not? Why not? Why not look for where can we take what we learned from that relationship and use that knowledge to be a better fit for an even better king, for an even better partner. That's the best we can do with relationships that have ended is, is not just hold the story of, oh, he did this, I hate him, and now all men are like this, but instead be like, okay, this terrible thing happened where he cheated or our relationship ended or I cheated or whatever it may be that happened, but take what you can about what you learned in yourself. That's how we make those relationships worth it. So that when you go on the next date or in relationship with this partner, you know those tricky points where you start to get a little bit blocked up. You get a little bit guarded. You start to withhold those truths. You start to get resentful because you're withholding truths. And you become more permeable, more malleable, a little more softer so that he can reach you. Because he wants to reach you. The masculine wants to reach you. And he wants to feel your, your effect of him reaching you. A lot of my emotional states are, are coming from my own compass, but I give them freely because I know what they do in relationship. I know how enticed and enchanted and excited my partner gets seeing all these flavors of me rather than the stoic keep your cards closed don't ever reveal what's true that's exhausting for many masculine partners that's exhausting and it actually feels like a lot of work for them that they're going to have to teach you and train you and help you constantly how to be honest, how to be truthful about what it is you need. If you're being low maintenance, but they feel that you have needs and you're not speaking your needs, they can automatically feel this is going to be hard because she has needs and she has desires and she won't share it with me. And I'm going to have to just pull it out and bring the energy because she's not bringing that and bring the safety. 
So all of this to say is that men don't want less of you. They don't want less of you. They want more of you. They want more to come to life. And the one very particular nuanced piece I put here is they want more of you connected to your heart. Can you bring your sacred rage with an open heart? Because there's a massive difference. There's a massive difference between fuck you, get out of my face <laughs> and fuck this hurts. <laughs> you know, it's a massive difference. And sometimes we might say we need space, but can we do this in relationship with love? Can we infuse anger with love in a way that we never saw our parents do? Can we fuse love with neediness? Oh, how cute is that to be needy, but also just be full of full, full, so much love, just owning your neediness, owning your like, I'm needy, I'm chatty, I want you owning that fully. He wants more of that, more, more. He can take more of that, particularly in the land of expression, particularly in the land of expression, not always in the land of explanation, because then we're back in kind of a, a masculine practice of speaking and telling and exchanging and telling and, and speaking. And, and what we're really looking at is incarnating as our expression and bringing more of that and more of that and seeing what happens, seeing how that changes your shape in your body, seeing how your body starts to take up more space, starts to shape shift with confidence. Your eyes start to take on a new flavor. You start to invoke different goddesses that are full of love and abundance. You feel Lakshmi pour through your heart. Maybe you start to dress a little bit differently. You start to dress in clothing that you know is going to inspire and enchant your partner, even if you're both just home on a Thursday. Because you're making love your most important art project. And you start to use your adornments and your clothing and your speech and your gaze and the softness of your belly and your breath and the softness of your jaw. You start to take on the shape of abundance and trust and belief in good men and belief in men staying. And those beliefs are what changes your shape. And that shape is what dictates who comes into your field. It is all connected. Thank you, my loves, so much for enjoying this episode with me, episode 341 of the Madeline Moon Show. If you enjoyed this, I would love a five-star review. If you felt like giving one generously on iTunes or Spotify, it helps the show so, so, so much to spread the word. And if you want to pick up a copy of Artist of Love, you can order that on Amazon or Barnes & Noble online. Thank you again for joining us today. I hope you learned something. And maybe if you have a friend who needs to hear this message, you can send this right along. We have another episode scheduled in a couple weeks, and I'm so excited for this one. So be sure to tune back in for another episode of the Madeline Moon podcast then. See you next time. <laughs>